This is a journey into sound. Brought to you in living color on WTDR. I'm Tony Epstein. It's the Magical Mystery Tour. Join us as we dive into the heart of things, exploring new ideas and new ways of seeing and being in this wondrous, crazy world we share together. Lying on your back in the grass, you can't see a thing except for the clear blue sky, a few cotton wool clouds, Higher and higher in the great dome of the sky, filling it with song. Higher and higher, filling it with song. Filling it with song. They sound quite mad, don't they? It's happening. I can feel it. How would you explain it? It's beautiful. God, it's God. I say God. How do you like that? The fault, dear Buddhist, is not in our stars, but in ourselves. Good luck. We care about your world. My guests today are Michelle Hyatt and Jacob Salzer, and they have a couple of new books of poetry that we'll be talking about. Um, I got to visit Michelle this past summer and her family, and I had never been to Ontario before, and I got to spend a week there. Um, that was a really a meaningful experience in a lot of ways. And then that really inspired a lot of our Tonka and our new returning book. So tell me about your experience of Northern Ontario and how it was distinct from your experience where you are or other places that you've been oh absolutely well one of the main things i noticed is there's no like mountain ranges you know in vancouver washington i'm really close to mount hood and mount st helens and the rocky mountains and i'm also pretty close to the ocean and so northern ontario i just noticed there's a lot of lakes and there's rivers and there's gorges but yeah you're not anywhere close to the ocean, and you don't see mountains there, which was interesting. But the psychological effect that had on me was, I remember the drive, because Michelle picked me up from the airport, and on the drive to her house, I just remember a lot of like rolling hills, farmland, a lot of just flat. And it kind of brought a sense of serenity because there wasn't this massive, like, iconic mountain that's, like, dominating my attention. Because <laughs> 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 when you live in my neck of the woods, you know, Mount Hood gets a lot of attention, you know. <laughs> it's a huge mountain. But, um, yeah, that's one thing I noticed about being there. And because I was in the summer, the temperature was really perfect, actually, because it wasn't too hot there. It wasn't too cold. One thing I noticed that was interesting, Tonio, is on Lake Nepissing, where Michelle and her family share a property, sometimes there's some really intense storms that come across the lake. And it's interesting to me because during the entire week I was there, most of the days, you know, the lake was really peaceful and calm. 
And I really appreciated hearing the gentle tide, you know, and the call of a loon and the wildlife there. But then, you know, there's a couple of evenings where the storms are really intense, you know, and this howling wind and it would shake the RV that I got to stay in, you know, and I was like, wow, wasn't expecting that. <laughs> but yeah, the one thing I did notice too is, yeah, the storms, they come really quick, like mm-hmm. literally out of the blue. And, you know, where I'm at here, it rains a lot. When storms happen, it's like a gradual occurrence and it's usually like lasts like at least half a day or the whole day. <laughs> but in Ontario, it's like, no, here's an intense storm. It's going to last maybe about an hour and then it's going to go away. <laughs> so, yeah, th- those are a few things I've noticed. Uh, yeah, contrasting the two landscapes. And Michelle was telling me too how she had a few experiences when she was kayaking. Like, we got to kayak on that lake too, and that was a really great experience. We went out when it wasn't stormy yet, but it was becoming stormy towards the end. And Michelle told me, an experience when she was out pretty far into the lake when a storm came, you know, and like mm-hmm. paddling really hard to get to the shore <laughs> because you don't want to be stuck in a storm out there. <laughs> yeah, and that's it. They move in so fast. Everybody here knows if you go out in the boat, if you see gray skies or, you know, dark clouds in the distance, don't test it because you will be surprised how fast the storm rolls in. And, and I did. I tested it. And I remember I was scared, but I made it to shore. But yeah, I thought, okay, yeah, this, this isn't smart. You don't test the clouds like that. I don't know what it is. They move in really fast on this lake. But we hugged the shore. When Jacob and I went out, I remember saying, well, we'll just hug the shoreline. We, don't, we won't go out, you know, towards the islands. Just we wouldn't get caught. Yeah, exactly. And it was good. It was good. Yeah, but I also appreciate the scale because, you know, the lakes there, there's like smaller lakes and some really big lakes. And just in contrast to the ocean, you know, it's just completely different. The like the tide on Lake Nepissing, for example, is like the most gentle tide you can imagine. And it just lulled me to sleep. <laughs> it, was, it was really very peaceful in contrast to, you know, staying at the beach where I have some family and big tides and huge waves <laughs> so it's like i love both worlds but um i'm curious to learn more about your experiences in nature too because that's kind of a theme of michelle and i's poetry yeah we deeply connect with the earth in different ways and it'd be great to hear like some of your experiences tonio both in the states and outside of the states because you, you mentioned before that you got to live in spain for a year i'd be really curious to learn like what nature was like in spain I'm not sure if we had talked about this, but I grew up in New York City in Manhattan mm-hmm. and then moved up here in time to go to high school. But before moving up here, I spent about a year living in southern Spain. You know, it's on the Mediterranean. I think we were roughly 30 miles north of the Mediterranean. I lived out in San Diego and the landscape and the climate are virtually identical mm-hmm. when you go inland of San Diego, that is, mm-hmm. to southern Spain. And, you know, it's a climate where it rarely rains and only rains a little bit in the winter. Of mm-hmm. course, these days, even Southern California gets tons of rain at times. Mm-hmm. The weather has been crazy out there. Here, mm-hmm. the main thing with climate change is it's just gotten a lot warmer here. Mm-hmm. We still don't get much in the way of storms, although 
we got a big Christmas storm, which mm-hmm. knocked out yeah. our power. For some people, it was almost a week. Wow. Um, mm-hmm. It knocked out power for about half the state, I think. Wow. Wow. How was your experience with that, Tonio? Like, did you go somewhere else or did you stay where you're at? I stayed where I was at. They were predicting that we would get gusts of up to 60, maybe 70 miles per hour. But I didn't get hardly any serious wind at my house, although Mm. all around me, there were trees and, and poles that were knocked down. I'm in the woods and maybe that protects me a little. And I don't know. I'm looking out at a big window and mm. the sky is clear blue mm. and there are trees all around mm. and it's a beautiful day. It's cold. Mm. And oh, you, you had asked about earth being close to this. When I moved up here to Vermont, I loved being out in the woods. Mm. For me, it was the silence of the woods that I thrived on, mm-hmm. you know, getting to sit on a log or, or something like that and just listen to the, the background hum of the universe mm-hmm. that pervades the present moment and, mm-hmm. and just letting myself completely settle into that stillness. That mm-hmm. was something that I, I loved probably more than anything up here. Although mm. it's a subtle experience, and when I was a teenager, um, I don't think I thought about that at all, but I, I love that experience. You know, reflecting mm. back on it, it was a very nourishing and healing experience for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. because it's so subtle, um, yeah. like, you know, in our culture, we thrive on earth-shattering events. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Yeah. And yeah. everything else sort of flies under the radar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And your poetry reflects that level of experience. Mm-hmm. It reflects on, on those subtleties and kind of indulging in the perception and experience of those subtle levels of, of experience. This just occurred to me um, while we were talking that I would love for each of you to introduce the other instead of me doing it because my listeners get to hear my voice all too much but i think it would be wonderful for each of you to introduce each other in whatever way you would like to do it oh that's that's very sweet and then we can uh jump into your poetry your Mm -hmm. recent work Mm -hmm. okay wow it's a little difficult. <laughs> yeah. Just do it from your heart. Yes, I know. It's not going to be your standard. And Jacob has been writing haiku for <laughs> such and such years. And it's going to be <laughs> so I'm being creative. And at yes. the same time, I'm also being kind of lazy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that honesty. <laughs> <laughs> but the main thing is I just didn't want to hear my voice doing that. Okay. This will be interesting. But I'd I'd request you to go first, Michelle. Okay. Just give me a second. Just let me let me move inward for a little mm. a little pause here. Hmm. That was a great introduction. I love that. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> Isn't that? That says it all right there. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, okay. I am here to introduce my best friend, Jacob Salzer, who happens to be a prolific, beautiful writer of not just haiku, of stories, art. He's also a wonderful mentor. When I think of Jacob, I hear the words gentle, kind, and compassionate, generous. Jacob, to me, is just one of the funniest people on this earth. Belly laughing, falling over laughter, he can get me. And I love that. Jacob is a deep lover of trees and water. You feel his respect in his silence. I've had the honor to stand at his side in a forest and beside rivers and lakes. And his silence is rich with respect for the earth. I love that. And he takes his time. Jacob takes his time with a lot of things. He can hunker down and get her done. I know that part of him as well. And that's awesome. So he's got a really good balance. And I appreciate that balance. That's actually been very good for me because he inspires me in both directions. And I love that. And I appreciate that about Jacob in a very deep way. I love Jacob's silence. If I think about Jacob, that's one of the things that comes to mind too, is his silence. And it's a silence that is full of gentleness and patience and respect and wisdom and humility. Jacob's got a great smile with his eyes. All the smile is coming from those eyes. And even when I'm thinking about it and I'm saying these words, I got this big grin because it is infectious. He is probably the kindest and most compassionate person that I have met on this earth. And I am so grateful beyond words to know him and to call him my friend. That is so sweet. Oh, thanks. Well, that was very kind. Words can't describe the safety, the depth, and the compassion of our friendship. And there's also a portal that breaks through Western civilization into the ancient roots of the earth. Michelle has a really deep love for the earth. And I really admire and respect that. It's interesting. I've had a lot of friends in my life, but not a friendship at this depth. Sometimes there is a feeling when we are together or riding together where the feeling of me and mine dissolves and there's no longer any barrier. So there's a indescribable connection there, but also a lot of respect 
for our differences. She's a wonderful writer. She inspires me with all forms of writing, and she's really honed her craft at writing haiku and tanka and haibun. There's so many other things I can say about Michelle. She's so kind. She's so generous. She's very gentle, but she can be very strong and direct, too, which I love. And one thing I want to emphasize about Michelle, too, is she's such a great listener. And her gentle silence and the joy and safety in that presence that she is. But she's much more than that, too. So (laughs) I could say a lot more, too, Tonio, but I'm just very grateful. I've never had a friend like this before, so I'm I'm very grateful. Mm -hmm. Well, I can totally feel what you guys are talking about, and that's Mm -hmm. why I enjoy getting Mm -hmm. to talk with you and and do this with you. Mm -hmm. And it reminded me of a friendship I had in high school where we lived probably about 10 miles apart. And since we didn't have any transportation, we would talk on the telephone. You know, we were both stranded out in the woods and Mm. we would have telephone conversations that would last for a couple of hours often. Mm. Often half of it in complete silence. Mm-hmm. where we would have spaces of 15 to 20 minutes of total silence, mm. but within which we could totally feel each other's presence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Even more so than if we were talking. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I have a great appreciation for the two of you in that way, because I feel mm-hmm. that kind of depth at the core of each of you. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious to see how this conversation unfolds. Mm-hmm. So one thing I thought of to get us rolling is if either of you can think of a tanka or any type of collaborative piece of poetry that the two of you have written that you feel reflects the depth and qualities that you share together and that exemplify mm-hmm. Yeah, the qualities of of the relationship that you have together. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting because I find it very easy to write with Jacob. He's written with more people than I have. I've mostly just written with Jacob. And that's, you know, honestly, it's because it's so easy. (laughs) Because it sounds funny, but it's almost like I'm writing with myself in some ways because we're so similar and we we share the same you know interests and and values and and just the connection we we connect on a very similar vibe so to try to find i'm trying to think because we connect on so many deep levels in so many places if we write about water it's very intimate it's very deep because we have such deep feelings about you know sacred spaces in the earth like forests or mountains or water Mm -hmm. as far as what would reflect the connection and maybe to make it easier it could be 
an individual piece from either or both of you separately. It doesn't have to be one that the two of you have collaborated on together because that that might make it a little too challenging. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I'm trying to mm -hmm. think. I'm thinking. I don't know. I'll let you go first, Jacob. What do you have to say about that? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I started this. I, I'm guilty of starting this whole thing of pawning the, the load off on the two of you. And, and now. <laughs> I'll take responsibility for all of that. There's actually a lot of choices. If you want an individual Tonka, this one in particular was inspired by Michelle. So I think this one could be a good place to start, maybe. So it's um, a fallen fur across the moonlit river, concentric circles. How many lives echo in the warmth of your smile? Mm. Mm, that is beautiful. Oh, thanks. I appreciate that. And just a quick side note on that, Tonka. The last two lines, how many lives echo in the warmth of your smile. I thought of the possibility of past lives. Mm -hmm. And Michelle and I have talked about this, how, you know, the connection is so natural and deep. We both wonder if we, you know, met in a previous life and were friends or, you know, another relationship. But also those last two lines relate to all the lives that she has touched in this lifetime both human and non-human i think of there's a wordless interconnection with so many different forms of life and i try to imagine her smile reflecting all of those lives you know and and, and honor her ability to connect and reveal the connections that already exist that get temporarily veiled in our culture mm. Oh, it's beautiful. I think it's pretty obvious that the two of you have been playing together for many, many lifetimes. <laughs> that this lifetime is kind of a culmination of a yeah. lot of that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Definitely could be. Yeah. I have a Tonka. Melting the ice. The first time I see your smile. Another dandelion goes to seed. That's in our book. For me, writing that one was because Jacob and I first met on this turn of the wheel. We met on the Haiku Nook in a G plus writing group back in 2014, maybe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anyway, so we had met in that group. And one day we were talking on Haiku Nook and you know, you have a picture by your name. And I think I had a picture of myself. And I had just come back from Turkey. So I put a picture of myself being in some cafe in Istanbul. And Jacob had an image. It wasn't a photo of him or anything. It was just like an artistic sort of an image. But we were talking about, I guess, how we looked or something. And he said, when I had hair, because he shaves his head, he said, when I had hair, it was dark. And uh, I went, oh, it's funny because I pictured you because I don't know what I didn't know what he looked like. Said I had an image of you with dark hair. So that's interesting. 
So then he said, would you like to see a picture of me? I said, yes, sure. So then like right on the haiku nook, and he, I mean, he sent the picture and it was a picture of him, just his face and he had, you know, this beautiful smile. And the inspiration of that Tonka is from back in that moment, melting the ice. The first time I see your smile, another dandelion goes to seed. And the last two verses of that Tonka too, it just speaks to how far spread that exchange has come and just the many layers of our connection and how much that has grown and the friendship and just how much that has blossomed and just continues to grow and, and reproduce and change and evolve and all because of that or not all because, but definitely that Tonka was inspired from just that cute little exchange. And then extending outward from there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Extending outward from there. Yeah, the dandelion goes to seed, you know, and then the wind comes and blows the seed. And from one dandelion, all those seeds comes another, you know, garden full of dandelions and then those dandelions go to seed and so that you know just speaking to the friendship Mm. so that's like a really wonderful example of the depth and quality that can be conveyed in just a few short lines Mm -hmm. Mm. Mm -hmm. yes so what distinguishes a tonka from another form and what is it that you gain from the structure of a tanka or the structure of any of these forms? Mm, that's mm. a really great question. I'll briefly say first that tanka is a Japanese word that means uh, short song, and it's much older than haiku and actually has roots in Chinese poetry and the very beginnings of Japan as a nation. So waka is a japanese word it just means uh, japanese poem and the ancient waka poems in japan later became known as tanka so that's just a brief historical note but i'd like to read a brief paragraph from a book called japanese death poems and i'll read this part most tanka contain two poetic images the first is taken from nature the second, which may proceed, follow, or be woven into the first, is a kind of meditative complement to the nature image. Tonka produce a certain dreamlike effect, presenting images of reality without that definite quality of realness, often possessed by photographs or drawings, as if the image proceeded directly from the mind of the dreamer. The Tonka poet may be likened to a person holding two mirrors, one reflecting a scene from nature, the other reflecting himself or herself as he or she holds the first mirror. So the Tonka thus provides a look at nature, but regards the observer of nature as well. But then they go on to say, in order to produce a haiku, haiku shattered the self-reflecting mirror, leaving in the hands of the poet only the mirror that reflects nature. 
So that's an interesting way to describe Tonka. The basic structure is there's two parts to the Tonka, you know, just to echo that paragraph. Oftentimes the first part will be uh, something found in nature. And then the last two lines have a twist or turn in the poem that involves different emotions or something subjective that's going on in your life. And so that juxtaposition between the human emotions and nature is kind of a pillar of all Japanese poetry and in a very ancient sense as found in Tonka. Yeah, so that provides a, a start at least. Oh, that was great. I like the little surprise with Tonka. There's a surprise in haiku for me too, in three lines. But I like in Tonka, the last two lines are like the little detour. Mm -hmm. Sometimes when you read a Tonka, those last two lines, they complement the three lines above it. But it also, it turns enough that you feel like, oh, you're now in a different direction but it still blends with the lines above it, but it's a new thought now. And I feel like I'm on a winding path when I read Tonka and I'm, you know, I'm walking in a direction and then the path turns and the scenery on the path is so different, but it all blends together. It all works together. They are all together and sharing the same space, but it's like a little detour and it's a different experience all of a sudden and leaves me thinking or not. Sometimes you're just in your own silence, which is something that's really beautiful too. When you read something and you're not even thinking at the end, you're just left in the silence of what you just read and feeling. You can't even put words to it, which is beautiful. But I love the little twisting path that I find for me is how I describe writing or reading Tanka. But it's not sometimes easily definable. It's so woven together. It's hard to pinpoint. And I, I actually really appreciate that it's hard for me to put into words what Tanka does to me and how it makes me feel. I just know that it feels good to write Tonka. It feels different than haiku for me. And also, I just kind of appreciate, sometimes it helps me to have those extra two lines to express what it is that's inside me that I want to, you know, put down on paper. That is too much of a challenge to put into a three-line space. Mm -hmm. Sometimes those extra two lines, it's like grace. Oh, I can, I can let it out. I can say it. It's like a release. Mm. Yeah, it's yeah. a little easier sometimes for me to say what I want, having just those extra two lines. And the writer of the Tonka in those last two lines is sharing something, you know, a deeply personal mm -hmm. and subjective experience that has arisen in that moment in mm -hmm. relationship to the first two lines. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and sometimes with Tonka, it's in reverse as far as like the nature image. And sometimes it's not just like a physical image. We can use all of our five senses, which really expands what Tonka and haiku can do. We're a very visual culture, so I definitely understand the power of, you know, quote unquote, concrete imagery. 
that's really not as concrete as it seems. <laughs> but with Tonka, we can start with maybe a subjective experience and end on something related to nature too. So it's not like the nature image always has to come first. So that allows more freedom to play with the juxtaposition, to experiment, to see what feels right. Um, I do have one Tonka actually that exemplifies what Michelle was talking about. This one is also in our returning Tonka sequences book. And this also relates back to our friendship as well. Not wanting to break our silence, evening fog, through cracks in the ice, the buds of yellow roses. Mm. So this example shows also the metaphorical power of Tonka. When I wrote this, I was thinking of the resilience of Mother Earth, but also the beauty of friendship breaking through the ice. Mm -hmm. That could be like a metaphor for breaking through old thought patterns. And, you know, the buds of yellow roses shows the beginnings, but it also shows the power of gentleness while mm -hmm. the rigid ice, you know, we're breaking through the rigid thought patterns. So, yeah. But that also was an honor of our time together when we're just being and not speaking to so mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah because that one really moves me i love jacob's poetry and so much of his poems just move me into silence and that one i remember the first time i read it the tears just welled up in my eyes it just moved me so much and it was the gentleness of the poem speaking to love and friendship and just the respect I could feel coming out of the poem and mm. you know that patience it speaks to me it spoke of patience how you know waiting for someone else waiting for another and I mean waiting in a spirit of listening a spirit of you know mm. sharing space of silence together and you know being honoring and respectful of that space of that person yeah i just really really appreciate that poem so talk about how this particular collection of tonka sequences is put together as in that call and response kind of format and how you go back and forth with each other and how you approach the collaborative and creative process of this because i know you you're doing it from a distance and so there's got to be a lot of listening involved and a lot of time spent mm -hmm. in silence, reflecting mm -hmm. and taking each other's work inside mm -hmm. and then taking oneself back outside to engage with the natural world and then to go back inside within oneself mm -hmm. to feel what's going on inside in response. Mm -hmm. So there's like many layers of mm -hmm. complexity involved in this process, it seems. Mm -hmm. So I, I would love for each of you to share something about what that process is like for each other and, and how you go about doing it. Mm. Yeah, well, I'll say a few things. First, I appreciate how, you know, when we go into writing collaboratively and with returning, for example, with our newest book, I love how we approach it. You know, we're writing our tanka, but we are pairing it together. But I also love how each one can stand on their own 
as a solo, as an individual piece. But then when they come together, they complement each other and they kind of become an extension of the other. And I like how that can even be an example of, you know, us or Jacob and I and our spirit and our individuality. We each stand on our own, but when we come together, there seems to be like, you know, like Jacob mentioned earlier, the dissolving of, you know, me or mine. And I feel that when we write together, he will send me something, and you know, he's calling to me and then my poem is going to be a response or vice versa. And so if he sends me something, that's exactly what you said, Tonio, I, I sit with it and I feel it. And what I love about when Jacob writes me and sends me something, I don't have to wait too long because I just feel his spirit so deeply and it's so clear and vivid that it's very easy for me to know what it is that's bubbling up. I recognize it and I can discern it very naturally and very easily and responding to his poems it comes with amazing ease. And I don't know, it's a mystery. So you're communing with him on that Mm -hmm. collaborative, creative, Mm -hmm. and spiritual level Mm -hmm. during this process, despite Mm -hmm. the fact that you're a few thousand miles apart. Definitely. Definitely. Well, just a quick note, too, that the summer poems, almost all of them were based on our experience together in Ontario. Mm -hmm. And so those tanka were written when I returned home, but they're based on being together physically. And the other ones, we can connect, despite being so far away, just through the four seasons. And one thing I do too, when she sends me a tanka, I'll feel her spirit too. And then I'll also linger on Usually it's a single word, and that word inspires another image that relates in some way. And there's several examples of this in our book. I don't know if this would be a good time to maybe share one of our sequences together. I think this is a, a great time to you know take a moment to delve back into summer because we are in the dead of winter. Yeah. I found one on page 62 really strongly of summer. Do you want to read that one, Michelle? Yes, that's perfect. Yes. Okay, so early summer morning after the storm, a gentle tide. Dreams ebb and flow in the call of a loon. Created by nature, endings and beginnings, a beach mandala gradually dissolving into the mystery. One reason why I appreciate the sequence too is it reflects the cover of our book because the cover is a photo of a spiral beach mandala that Michelle and I created just out of natural materials. And then it was really cool because the experience being there over the course of, it was probably about three days, we gradually saw the mandala being washed away by the water. Mm-hmm. It was really cute because we woke up, you know, after the first day, some ducks across the mandala, like leaving their footprints <laughs> and like kicking things around, <laughs> <laughs> just showing how transient, ephemeral it all is. But they were also contributing to the art. 
But we also chose the spiral mandala because it symbolizes as a strong symbolic energy. Spiral could mean infinity, something that never ends, the cycles within cycles. We also chose returning as a title for a lot of different reasons. Just that word has several layers for us, returning to the earth, how we're all returning to the earth, you know, physically, and then also returning to a spiritual dimension after death and returning to more indigenous ways of living where we see the earth as uh, part of our larger being versus trying to conquer the earth. So yeah, I, I really deeply appreciate the notion of returning to being stewards of the earth and respecting the earth, returning to a different sense of identity where you're not confined to colonial mind and i loved how that was mentioned in another interview you did with the book restoring the kinship worldview i was deeply moved to such an extent that i bought the book and i read it (laughs) and i have several pages of notes but there's one quick part of that book i would actually love to read just in relation to our title returning and this was four arrows speaking Spirituality is at the core of being indigenous to our planet. Everything on Earth has a spiritual purpose and function, from herbs to human beings. All things in the world live and share this mysterious web of interconnected energy. In such an animistic universe, nothing is an it. Everything is animistic and equal in stature to us. In addition to spirits of visible entities, invisible spiritual forces also exist. All spiritual energies inform or respond to intentionality, and we must treat them with reverence. And then this part right here is another brief quote from Four Arrows. Landscape is sacred because it lives and because it holds the spiritual energy of ancestors. Being in tune with all this spiritual energy and entering into dialogue with it through praying, singing, vision questing, ceremony, and daily life is vital. So I feel like both Michelle and I, we resonate deeply with the respect for Mother Earth. And I also love how several indigenous tribes, they actually don't even have a word for Mother Earth because they see the earth as part of their identity. And that's really moving to me. Mm. There's another theme that threads through here, something about sandcastles dissolving, and the second part connects to thoughts evaporating. Mm-hmm. That one actually came from my Unplugged book. It's um, Sandcastle, A Thought Crumbles in the Child's Laughter. And then there's another one. There's uh, on page 26 of Returning. Mm, okay. Mm, that was in the season of winter. Yes. Okay. Moonlight in the overgrown cemetery, frozen shadows. How many thoughts have I buried? Beneath the ice, another world full of secrets. I journey between wakefulness and sleep. So I like that we just went from summer back to winter. 
Mm-hmm. And since we are in winter, this one is a little more self-explanatory, but I would mm-hmm. still love to hear the two of you re- reflect on this one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can talk about the talk I wrote. There's kind of two different intentionalities behind that one. How many thoughts have I buried? I was thinking about how many things have I neglected and just repressed or pushed aside or forgot about in my subconscious, you know, maybe even at an early age. And then on the flip side, I was thinking of how many thoughts have I buried in a positive light with the sense of letting go of thoughts in general. (laughs) So like how many thoughts have I buried in left behind for good, <laughs> like in a really good way. <laughs> so yeah, there's kind of two different interpretations behind that one. So the idea of being able to come to a place of completion with old thoughts sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I remember receiving this one. And when I read Jacob's Tonka, I kind of landed on the third line, frozen shadows. It's like what Jacob said, sometimes, you know, we'll write something and it'll either be a word that will really stand out or a line or a feeling or a thought. I remember this one, it was frozen shadows and it flowed out from frozen shadows. And that's where the first three lines came, which were beneath the ice, another world full of secrets. So the winter theme and where I live, the lake freezes so you know we have people that go out on their fishing huts we can drive our trucks and our cars out onto the lake to get to the huts and it gets like three feet thick and the frozen shadows to me with those first three lines that i wrote in my tonka brought me beneath the ice took me into that space into that world of winter and all the things that are happening beneath the ice that we don't see all the fish that are still swimming, the seaweed that still is very, very subtly swaying because there's still a very small amount of current that's moving very deep down. Mm -hmm. And that waiting to see when the ice thaws to get back into that space again. Because I go in the lake, I swim in the lake, I spend a lot of time with the water in the summer. And so when the ice thaws, and it's summer, I'm back in the water again. So this time for me is a waiting time. I feel like I'm waiting with the lake for the summer to come in the frozen state. And I think I journey between wakefulness and sleep. That was just me talking about this waiting time of when summer is going to be alive and present, which is, you know, the wakefulness part and the sleep part, of course, is speaks to me with the winter of that rest and just my spirit and my thoughts just hovering in that space in between summer and winter i love that and i really connected with that too oh nice and the first part of that you know beneath the ice just reminded me of a song by kate bush titled under ice Thank you. 
Kate Bush. My daughters are crazy about Kate Bush. I love Kate Bush, but they're crazy about Kate Bush. Yeah, some of her stuff is just totally amazing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. How old are they? They gave the album to each other. Well, when my oldest daughter gave it to my second oldest, I think Ariel would have been maybe 17. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. Sounds like they're steeping in your experience and you know the qualities that you bring or that you reflect uh, in, in yeah. your relationship with yeah. the world Which is great because a lot of kids, you know, tend to go the opposite route of their parents whenever they can. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. Well, and they did a little bit in their teenage years, you know, they're they're branching out, which is good. It's healthy. It's natural. I, I, I encourage them to do that because I'd want them to discover things for their own. I want them to be their own person that way. But wake up. I, I do see as they've gotten a little older, they kind of return back to, <laughs> you know, the original times, their roots, so to speak, I suppose. Like, they love the music that they grew up listening to, which was my music, because that's the music that I played. <laughs> so that is interesting. But they do have their own thing, too, for sure. Hmm. Well... There's just one more Tonka sequence from Summer that leads right after melting the ice. It's kind of a nice bridge. And this one's really meaningful for me because it was based on an actual experience in Ontario with Michelle. I also appreciate this one because it includes Indigenous words. A long pause at the edge of a forest, wind through leaves. Your gentle prayer fades in the sound of a stream. A song for the water, voices of women echo across time. Nibe chi miigwech. And that last line that Michelle just read means, water, we thank you. Mm -hmm. So both of you read the whole thing again. Okay. A long pause at the edge of a forest, wind through leaves. Your gentle prayer fades in the sound of a stream. A song for the water, voices of women echo across time. Nibe chi miigwech. That was written from our experience in Matawa at the Eau Claire Gorge. Beautiful old growth forest mm -hmm. standing at the edge as the water became a little more peaceful. We were actually getting ready to exit the forest. We were getting ready to leave. And that was beautiful because we were there for a few hours, stopping a lot for pictures and just appreciating the Canadian shield and the white water 
But as we were leaving, because there's a trail, so we're following the trail out, and we were, we were exiting, so we were walking away from the water, and it's a bit of a climb to get back out to where we needed to be, and it was so beautiful because Jacob just paused and just said, you know, I can't remember your exact words, but it was like you just had this feeling of, you know, should we go back to the water and just pay our respects kind of thing and see what comes, like maybe we could say a prayer or or just be silent, you know, together at the water's edge. And so we walked back down and just stood at the edge of the water and Jacob spoke some words of gratitude and thanksgiving. And then I just felt compelled to sing a song in Anishinaabe Moan that I had learned from drumming with my women friends. And it's a song, it's a prayer that honors the water. And the line, Nibechi Miigwech, is water, we thank you. And so that is a beautiful sequence because that came from that moment. And I love the honoring of the peoples that were in that space long before we set foot there. And just mm. feeling the spirit of ancestors and the relationship with the earth. This is a very, very old, ancient land that we were walking on and could feel the stories of the land and of voices of the ancestors. It's just very deep. So it was a beautiful way to remember that moment, remember the land and the people and to give honor. Yeah, I'm feeling the sense of how water flowing connects the past Mm -hmm. into the present and continues to flow into the future. Yes. And they talk about how water carries memory and we cannot even begin to fathom the extent of that. Yes, that's, Mm -hmm. that's, that's it. You're feeling, you're joining in. It's so beautiful because you actually feel like you are participating with those voices just by being there and feeling them. If you open yourself to that. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Communing and allowing ourselves to take on that quality of flowing. Yeah. You know, from the past into the present and beyond. You know, however we feel that, Mm -hmm. you know, beyond words. Mm -hmm. Although the two of you are really good at putting these kind of things into words. Mm. Mm -hmm. I don't think we've ever talked about Haibun before. And Mm. Jacob, you shared one at the end of the thing that you sent me. And Mm -hmm. I would love for you to read that. And maybe we could begin by talking about what is Haibun. And I'll let the two of you describe that and then read it for us. And the title of it is Chasm. Because it's very different from Tonka and Mm -hmm. Haiku. Mm-hmm. Definitely, yeah. The short answer is haibun is prose with haiku, but they can come in many different forms. The famous Japanese poet Basho, he's largely famous for one of his well-known works. It's called The Narrow Road to the Deep North. And that book he wrote is basically a really long haibun about his travels to northern Japan, largely on foot. And so what's beautiful about the longer haibun is it resembles like a travel journal or a travel diary. But the same principle in Japanese poetry applies with haibun where the haiku will 
shift away from the prose, but it will still connect in subtle ways. And this juxtaposition adds more depth and resonance instead of just repeating what's already been said. So a lot of Basho's haibun, he'll write about a passage traveling on foot through Japan, and then the haiku are kind of like photographs along the way, you know, moments where he turns and he notices something. And then the actual act of moving and traveling becomes the prose again, and he'll continue in that kind of pattern. But some of them are very short. And so in journals, most journal editors prefer brief paragraph followed by a haiku. And that's just the form they like the most because it's still concise enough that you can pack a lot of meaning into a small space. Michelle has a haibun, I remember, published in a journal, Drifting Sands. And if I remember right, um, there's three haiku and there's three prose sections, too. And they alternate, you know, prose, haiku, prose, haiku. Mm. But in this one, Chasm, what's really meaningful about this one is it's a collaboration. So, yeah, a lot of haibun, they're just written by one person. But in this case, Michelle wrote the prose and I wrote the haiku. And I'd love to read it with Michelle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So the title of this haibun is Chasm. Listen, do you hear that? She asks me while I am walking into her kitchen. I stop and listen, but hear nothing except the traffic from the street below. What am I listening for? I ask her. She tells me to listen closely. I strain my ears as hard as possible. Still, I hear nothing. That, there it is, birds. I have a family of birds living in my walls she says with great enthusiasm. I tell her that is very interesting and that I'm sorry, but I don't hear them. She continues to talk about the birds and how many babies there are with a big smile. I smile back and continue towards her kitchen. She stops talking and turns her TV on to a music station. While I wash her dishes, I quietly sing along with Sarah McLaughlin's Angel. Exit sign. The highway rumble fades into rain. One quick note. This one, I'm grateful, got published by the Drifting Sands High Boon Journal. When I read Michelle's prose, I felt the dissonance, the space between memory and memory loss, and also just the mental health of one of her clients, because this is based on experience. Uh, Michelle is cleaning one of her clients' homes, and Michelle did such a great job depicting her client's mental state that I picked up on that. And exit sign I used intentionally to be a metaphor for like the memory loss being kind of an exit sign in itself, you know? And the highway rumble fades into rain I use that as a way to depict how the noise or the dissonance in someone's mind can fade into a gentle rain. And that sometimes, you know, patients or people with dementia or Alzheimer's, there's a term some people use called pleasantly demented. 
And it's really referring to a lot of people who they have memory loss, but they're very peaceful and, and they're pleasant. They're not like the angry, you know, some people become angry when they start to lose memory. But some people become kind of blissfully unaware of even the memory loss to some extent. So there's several layers to the haiku. But yeah, exit sign I also saw as just like the starting of the end of a lifetime. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, when the highway sound fades into rain, I'm also depicting how our lives and our mental health, you know, we're all going to fade into rain back into Mother Earth. So we're all in it together. <laughs> but, yeah, that's, that's some of the insight behind the haiku and the connection. Mm -hmm. Nice. One thing I really appreciate about you, Tonio, is you'll throw us a curveball and be like, well, now I need to search my computer for some high boons. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was yeah. wondering if, Michelle, you had or either of you had the uh, high boon that Jacob referred to of oh, yours um, or anyone that you would I'll like see. to share. No, totally. I found it, so I could read that one. This was published last February in Drifting Sands, the same journal that published the Haibun that we just read. So this one is titled A Quiet Breeze. I watched the mama mallard duck while her six ducklings forage in the grass near my feet. Soft noises are coming from her, like the sound of water droplets as they plop into a puddle. With a vigilant stance, her throat moves in slight pulses with each vocal release. Low resonance. A cellist checks her strings. Outdoor concert. I watch and listen to her constant communication, maintaining close proximity to her babies that still have downy feathers. Neck craned and with perfect posture, I find myself more drawn to her than the adorable fluffy ducklings. She doesn't eat, but waits with 360 degree watchfulness so her babies can comb the vegetation for small seed morsels. Private agreement between the flowers, a honeybee. I'm grateful to see how she has come to accept me over the summer as part of the landscape allowing her babies to come close. Some of them actually nibble my sandals. Their curiosity and comfortable energy makes me smile. And then with the reason that is not discernible by my human senses, she gives one sharp, quick vocal summons as the next generation falls into line and she leads her ducklings casually back to the shoreline while the sun begins to set. The Sentinel, Drifting In and Out of Dreams, Polaris. That was written at Lighthouse Beach, where Jacob and I spent a lot of time when he was here in Ontario. It's the place that I actually live there in the summer. And uh, there's a lot of duck presence. And some days I could just sit there for hours and just, you know, watch the water, watch the ducks. So that was an experience from the summer before. Jacob, you have a short high boon to share with us, right? 
Here's the brief high boon. Uh, this one is also published in Drifting Sands back in 2021. It's called Gravity. In Grandpa's basement, the musty air lingers with motor oil, dirt, and metal. I slowly wander through decades of his life. A stack of rusted paint cans, a wall full of wrenches and screwdrivers, rows of ladders, windows, buckets, shovels, boxes overflowing with nails, a large inventory of ropes and chains, all useful things, all things that people threw away. The scent of firewood lingers on my jacket as I leave a house that he made with his own hands. Moonless night, a bird disappears into the birch tree. So tell us about the background of that one. Sure. Um, my grandpa, he's a really remarkable man. In his career, he spent a lot of time as a garbage man. And almost every day, he'd bring his truck and he'd bring home things that people threw away. And it was all really useful things. Sometimes it was a perfect window for his house or just like a bunch of bricks that would make a really nice patio. So he made a patio out of the bricks and, you know, doors and a whole bunch of things he'd just bring home. And I just really appreciate his mindset of recycling versus just making a landfill bigger. And his house, too, was largely built from fallen trees on his property. He lives in the woods in Lincoln City, Oregon. And I just have such a great respect and admiration and deep love for him to be able to build a home and help raise a family with four kids. And he was a garbage man for, I think, well over 20 years. So that's where the inspiration came from with the prose. And then the haiku, Moonless Night, a Bird Disappears into the Birch Tree, that came from experience in the woods at his place. I saw at night, I saw an owl disappear into a tree. And that was a really moving experience. And I thought about his connection with the earth is so strong. And he has such a deep love for Mother Earth. And that, you know, the bird disappearing into the birch tree also symbolizes my grandpa's spirit. So yeah, I wanted to pay respect to him. Mm, that's lovely. Oh, thanks. Another thing I appreciate about Michelle is her deep connection to the goddesses and to the, just the motherly energy. And that comes alive in a lot of her work. And uh, yeah, I really appreciate that, especially in a male-dominated culture and Michelle and I are working on a new book of goddess Renge. We touched on Renge in our last conversation. It's a form that was invented by an American named Gary Gay in 1992. And it's uh, six verses. And the main thing that sets Renge apart from Japanese linked verse is Renge have common themes or just a common theme that unites all of the verses together. So uh, Michelle and I, over the past you know six months or so, we've been working on this Goddess Renge book. It features goddesses from many different cultures. And just the experience writing it with her was really interesting because we're going into ancient human history and we're diving into the archetypes and the mythologies of the goddesses. 
and we could also at some point share one or two of our goddess renge to give people a glimpse of that experience and i'd love for you to talk about that as well mm. well like jacob mentioned we finished the writing process of our very new collaboration which was inspired by the ancient goddess civilizations and we're just inspired to do some writing together honoring some of the goddess civilizations and bringing their name you know out into our poetry and honoring their qualities and just having that really interesting experience together was really fun and it was so interesting because we've read it together a couple of times since we finished it and we both are very aware during is very beautiful but there's an intensity to it and i think it's just because the energy and the spirit of these goddesses is very evident in the writing because we are bringing mention to their energies, their qualities, their gifts, their shadow and their light aspects. And this was a very meaningful because of the content and my own personal history, because I was quite immersed in like a church community for many, many years when I was much younger. And I've come out of that. I've not been in that space for quite a while. And there's been a lot that has happened since that time of coming out. And I've always been drawn to earth-based spirituality. That was, that's my roots. That's how I was raised. That's my upbringing was storytelling. My parents are storytellers, especially my dad, and he was very connected to nature. He loved gardening, loved fishing, just loved being outdoors, just getting his hands in the dirt and sitting outside. I think part of the reason why it's so easy for me to sit in silence in nature was because it was just something that he and I would do. He would love to sit outside and he'd sit on the deck and I'd sit with him because I like being with him. And he wouldn't speak to me. He'd just sit and it was a very safe and natural way to be with him. And I realized at one point during my church experience that I was starting to feel a real lack and a void inside of me and started actually near the end I was actually feeling like I was suffocating and I couldn't breathe and I remember I'd be sitting in church services and I always make sure I'd sit in the same spot and it was near a window so I could look out and see the forest and felt that beckoning and that calling so I finally mustered up the courage to just pull myself in a very gentle and kind way out of that space and I just I walked away from it and I walked right into a forest and my journey of rediscovering and remembering parts of myself that I had kind of lost and buried and forgotten they were brought back to remembrance in nature and with the trees and with the birds and I remember during that journey, I would walk through this one particular forest that has become like so familiar to me now. And it feels like I can read it like the back of my hand. I walked it so much because it was just like this journey that I was going on. But I was kind of walking like in a circle, like the size. It's not a huge forest, so it's large enough that I can walk the perimeter and it's like a big circle. 
And I remember one time getting the sense of a presence in the forest with me. And it was very clear to me that it was a feminine presence. And it wasn't scary. I felt safe. But I was very curious. And I felt like I was always a step behind. Like this presence was ahead of me. And I was following this presence. And then I had this sense of she wants me to find her. But she's walking away from me. But she's wanting me to find her. She's, I don't know who she is. And then I would, you know, your mind kicks in. Is it me is this you know I'm trying to find myself so this could this be me and I could feel her so clearly oh I could almost see her and one day when I was out in the forest I was just on a walk and I tuned in to the sounds of the chickadees and I looked up and there was a chickadee right on a branch of a tree almost at my eye level and was so close to me, was right there, looking right at me, this cute little chickadee, and calling and singing. And so I stopped and I just stood in front of this chickadee and I was so moved and so touched that this chickadee felt so safe with me. But I could feel the chickadee's curiosity towards me. And it was very interesting and mysterious how I just got this sense of maiden energy, the curious energy of a maiden. And I didn't even know what that all meant. So I remember I came home and I started doing some reading about, you know, what is a maiden? What is what does that represent? And then that led me to the maiden goddesses and, you know, what represents the maiden energy, which is newness, springtime energy, curiosity, you know, very vivacious, very youthful, runs ahead you know, and kind of draws you in and makes you curious and then lets you come a little closer and then flitters away again, just like the chickadees did on the trail. I'd catch up to them and they'd, they'd skip a few branches and I'd follow them a bit more and they were just leading me deeper and deeper into the forest. And then I kind of tied that together with this feminine presence and I thought, that's got to be something like the maiden energy, like this goddess being. And then, you know, skip to another experience i was in my mom and dad's place i was in the bathroom in a dream and i looked out their bathroom window and i saw the full moon and i was staring at the moon this is a dream i'm staring into the face of the moon and you know you see shadows on the moon well the shadows on the moon started to move and change and it became the outline of a face and then when i looked closely i saw it was my own face shining back out of the moon towards me and it was lighting up my body and then when I looked down onto my body it was interesting because half my body was clothed and half wasn't and I don't mean like upper half bottom half I mean my left side had clothing and then my right side no clothing and I remember in the dream looking at my body and thinking well this is really strange how can this be possible and that was the dream and I remember Waking up from the dream, it was very vivid, very clear, the feeling of it being so real. And so I talked to my, I call her my chosen sister, because she and I, we kind of adopted each other. I don't have a sister. I have two older brothers. I always wanted a sister. And she and I are like, you know, soul sisters. And we kind of did the ceremony one time where we, it was almost like a marriage ceremony, but it was an adoption ceremony where we adopted each other as sisters. It was a beautiful moment. Anyway, I contacted my sister to tell her about this dream. 
And uh, she said, oh, Michelle, this dream just feels so heavy and deep with goddess energy. And I thought, okay, there's that word again, you know, this goddess, this goddess energy. And so then I started doing some reading about, you know, the full moon and what does that represent for women and feminine energy and then the goddess how does that tie in and part of that is the mother goddess ripe in fertility just like the full moon and i became really drawn to walking the forest at night there was something that was pulling at my spirit to keep walking through this forest but to experience it in the dead of night and i just had to do it no flashlight, nothing. I would just go out in the winter. Summertime is not the great time just because of mosquitoes. So I would do it in the winter, which was pretty decent because it was light enough in the sky or if there was enough of the moon shining with the snow reflection, you could see pretty well and your eyes would always adjust. So I started walking through this forest at night. I was just compelled. I had to be out there in the darkness and I found a beautiful little circle of trees that I would sit with and just sit in silence or meditate and just be in that space. I felt so safe and couldn't deny the feeling there was a little bit of eeriness in there, but not an eeriness where I didn't feel safe or that I was afraid, but it was definitely respect. And moving deeper into that, again, into my spirit, I slowly started to uncover how it relates to the goddess, how does this relate to goddess energy and the darkness and the mystery and the winter season and then the crone goddess was brought to my attention and so then I thought okay the crone represents you know yes that season of winter the cycle in the birth death rebirth cycle she represents all three in a sense and then I was led to the triple goddess and how we as women because I was looking towards myself identifying myself as female woman how that relates to my life and feeling that I was in this season of yeah I let something die I let my old life die my church life die but there is a rebirth that was happening I was moving into a new a new season a new experience and it involved the goddess and it's interesting to me how memories and thoughts they just reappear and you realize they were never gone they have always been inside of you. They've just been tucked away, you know, buried or forgotten for whatever reason. And this memory came back to me of being in fourth grade. And the teacher that I had at the time was a teacher that really encouraged reading, reading to us. We would have an afternoon once a week where we would go out and sit in the hall and she would read books to us. And a lot of the beautiful classic children literature and novels that I read to my babies when they got old enough were because of her, because the books that she introduced me to, the classic novels like Charlotte's Web and The Wind in the Willows and all the books by Roald Dahl. And I introduced all those books to my children, E.B. White, Lucy Maud Montgomery, like the Anna Green Gables books. Anyway, she started reading Greek mythology to us. And I remember being very, very drawn to that. So this memory has come back to me, you know, in my 40s. Like, oh my goodness, yeah, I love that. I love the stories and legends of the Greek goddesses, especially. So then I began to just sign books out of the library. Again, 
reintroducing myself to these legends and these myths and these stories. And then that just began to keep unfolding because I'm now a yoga meditation teacher. So now I'm going to also be exploring the Hindu goddesses and the Shiva Shakti energy. And I'm now drumming. I like to frame drum. And a lot of the rhythms that I like to play are Middle Eastern rhythms. A lot of them have risen out of Egypt. So now I'm looking into the Egyptian goddesses. Everything's just kind of woven together in a very interesting and mysterious way. So I am coming into experiences with the sacred feminine and feeling the roots of, you know, compassion that there is just such a different spirit that I felt when I would sit with the energies of the goddesses and the teachings of the sacred feminine. I could relate very naturally to that because of that feeling of the creativity and the compassion, the close connection to nature that the sacred feminine offers, uh, very earth-based spirituality, very, you know, oriented towards more the, like, matrifical energy versus, you know, like that patriarchy, which I felt so strongly with that old traditional church life that I was involved with and was so unbalanced and here I am now feeling something that is me returning to my roots this is how I was raised I was raised in the outdoors and appreciating nature and getting my hands in the dirt and sitting out watching the sunset watching clouds move through the sky and celebrating those moments with silence alone or with somebody else so all of this is changing and evolving in my in my spirit and i'm finding these places of healing and restoration and you know the universe is sending people into my life a lot of women that kind of vibe on this same level and i'm getting involved with women's drumming groups and we're meeting in women's sharing circles and I love the honesty and the vulnerability and the emotional connection, the emotional intelligence that I was feeling from these sharing circles. It was so real and intimate. It was exactly what I needed at that time. And so that's my personal journey. And I love how circling back to this book, pretty much everything that I've just shared is kind of culminating and spilling out in this poetry because I'm now able to kind of give words to the relationship that I have formed with these stories and legends and that I got to do this with Jacob. It just makes it even more amazing and special for me. I didn't mean to drag it on like that. Sorry. I just got lost in the trail of the memories. I could listen to you talking about that all day oh, if you wanted to. Me too. Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> Tonio, let's reschedule another session where we can just do that. Yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Yeah, I love this whole new topic. So I guess at this point, would the two of you like to read some of this goddess Renge? Sure. Okay. Do you want to read Aina? Sure. Okay. Oh, one thing we could do too, uh, Michelle, is either before we read the Renge or after we could talk about 
each goddess, like, brief descriptions? Oh, sure. So, it's Hawaiian goddesses that we're writing about in this one. So, Pele, she is the fire goddess, and she is one of the most revered goddesses in the Hawaiian mythology. They say she resides over lightning, dance, wind, volcanoes, and violence. And she is both a creator and destroyer. And she governs the great flows of lava. Hiaka is the younger sister to Pele and patroness of hula dancers, chant, sorcery, and medicine. Her family line is also called the Hiaka. And they take on the task of bearing the clouds, providing rain, thunder, and lightning. And the third goddess named in this renge is Lilinoe, the goddess of mist and fog. She is the younger sister of Poliahu. She is a spirit of snowy mountains rather than fiery ones and is also the goddess of Haleakala, dead fires and desolation. Haumea is a fertility goddess who takes many forms in Hawaiian mythology. She is the sister of Kane and Kanaloa and is one of the oldest deities worshipped on the islands. She is often identified as the wife to Kanaloa, god of the underworld. As the goddess of fertility, Haumea is also recognized as the patroness of childbirth. And Laka is a fertility goddess who resides over forests, vegetation, rain, love, music, and hula. Laka is best known for creating the hula, the dance form accompanied by chant or song, known as mele. As a vegetation goddess, she's associated with the elements of light and rain. Hmm. And then the last goddess for this renge is Namaka, the goddess of water and the sea. So this one is titled Aina, and Aina is the Hawaiian word for land, that which feeds, and it encompasses the Hawaiian worldview of a reciprocal and familial relationship between people and the land. So Aina. New worlds spoken into existence. Pele clears her throat. Hiaka dancing, thunder echoes over the sea. Flashes of mist, Lilinoe awakens over Haleakala. Third trimester, the scent of Humea's flowers and the baby's cry. Swaying palm fronds, Laka lifts her arms to the sun. Namaka's tidal wave crashes into the fire, her whispers. So, Michelle, tell us about your connection with this pantheon of Hawaiian goddesses. Well, this is interesting because there's a few things. I've kind of inherited my mom's passion and love for the Hawaiian islands. And I grew up with her just 
almost obsessing. She'd never been yet. She did end up going with my dad eventually, but just was always drawn to Hawaii. And I grew up hearing the name Pele coming from her mouth often when she would talk about Hawaii. And she was just drawn to volcanoes. And so she would often mention Pele, who is the fire goddess of Hawaii and like probably the most revered and the one responsible pretty much for creating the land, birthing the islands. So Pele, when I went with my mom, my mom went once with my dad when I was younger, just the two of them. And then my dad passed away in 2001 and she'd always wanted to go back to Hawaii, but she never managed to. She wanted to go again and she didn't want to go alone. So I went with her. Was it 2013? I went over with her. And it was a very beautiful trip because it turns out it is the last trip that I would ever make with my mom. My mom is still alive, but she's very deep in the world of dementia. And it was on this trip where I really discovered that something was changing with my mom, with her brain. But we still had beautiful times shared while we were in Hawaii. Anyway, we went to Maui. We went to Oahu. We spent time in Oahu, spent time in Maui. So when we were in Maui, we went to Haleakala and stood on the summit and did a little bit of walking on the volcano and really felt a connection to my mom when I was there. Just a real respect and honoring towards my mom and her life and just feeling that creative energy of the land of the spirit of Pele. And so the connection for me with Pele is very tightly woven into my mother, which is very powerful and beautiful to me because my mother is also a fierce force. Was, you know, growing up when I think of my mom, she was fierce, like loving and gentle, but yeah, you don't, you know, misbehave too badly because you'll you'll hear it. So she was a quite a force. My dad would joke sometimes and give her a nickname of the tiger so that you have an idea about her personality. So Pele and my mom that I have a real deep connection and love and respect and Haleakala the volcano because of my experience there with her and just feeling the energy of the earth and the land and the Hawaiian people, the respect being in that space my first time when I was there with my mom because I've been there four times since but first time when I was there with my mom I'd never been there before and I remember seeing a real connection to the indigenous people here where I live like the native Hawaiians their houses where they're living and how they're living and just their spirit connection and honoring and reverence to the earth and to the land really could see the parallels and when I was on Haleakala could just feel the ancient voices of the Hawaiian ancestors the Hawaiian peoples so that's why I, I chose Lilinoe because of her connection being the goddess of Haleakala I wanted to write about her and the other verse that I wrote was about the goddess Laka. And I didn't know or wasn't so familiar with Laka as much as I was 
in love with the story of the hula dance. She is best known for creating the hula, which is a dance form accompanied by chant or song. And I have a cute little connection to that because when I was in grade two, there was a school performance or presentation that my school was doing or my class was doing for our families. And my mom, because she had this thing about Hawaii, my mom wanted me to be a hula dancer in the play because we were to be representing different parts of the world. So my mom, I guess if we were to do that now, that would not be a cool thing because there would probably be a lot of cultural appropriation. So, and maybe I, was, I even participated in that back in that day. But my mom, she wanted me to be, you know, see if we can get you in as a hula dancer. So she made me a little grass skirt and I wore a little bathing suit and she put a flower in my hair. And she showed me, I remember we have old silent home movies of this. She put on some Hawaiian music and she was dancing a hula. <laughs> and she was, I remember her telling me how to move my arms because your arms represent the ocean. Your arms represent the waves. So they have to flow and be gentle and you can't have stiff wrists. And and so she she showed me how to do a little hula dance. So that that's a very special memory and connection with Laka because of the hula. So I find the Hawaiian goddesses that we wrote about were very meaningful because a lot of it is a connection with my mother because of her love for that land and the people. Thank you for that. <laughs> Thanks for asking. Would you like to read anything else from that book or should we save that for a future time? Hmm. I like the idea of saving for another time, mostly because it's such a big subject. This is just my small two cents that I feel like we could talk about many of the goddesses throughout many of the cultures. And I'd love to hear more of Michelle's connection with other goddesses and other cultures too. I really, I like that idea. What do you think? Mm -hmm. There's also a couple notes I could say about my new Unplugged book that weaves mm -hmm. together um, actually with the goddesses just in a less direct way, but it weaves in with the love and reverence for the earth. But with the Unplugged book, the reason I chose that title, it came from a haiku in the book, and the haiku is unplugged i walk into the forest without a sound and that haiku in particular it really emphasizes the power of deeply listening that's one reason i really appreciate both of you is even on you know this recording talking i can hear both of your silences that you're like we're all three of us i feel like are deep listeners and to be honest in our culture that's pretty rare. I feel like a lot of people are more interested in talking versus listening. So that's just a real gift I want to recognize that both of you have. But then, yeah, Unplugged, the reason I chose that as the title was to take a break from technology, from social media, but also to be unplugged from the city grid, 
to physically take a break from city life, you know, because the city has a lot to offer and there's some beautiful things about cities, but I've come to rediscover the importance, just to echo what Michelle was talking about, about physically being in Mother Earth and the power of that experience is really something you can't put into words and it's very healthy on every level, you know. We already know that's been well documented, you know, the benefits of being immersed in Mother Earth, whether it's through camping or hiking or even just a simple walk in a park can make a really big difference. But anyways, so yeah, Unplugged, that's kind of the inspiration behind the title. And also Michelle inspired me to write this book because of her deep connection with the earth and her love and reverence for Mother Earth naturally resonated with me because when I grew up, I'm very fortunate. I got to spend a lot of time in Mother Earth. I did play some video games, <laughs> like a lot of kids, you know, that was part of it too. And I have great memories, you know, with my dad, especially playing, you know, The Legend of Zelda, which is has some nature-based scenery. But um I got a really good mix of camping with my family and spending time with my grandparents on the beach and in the forest. And I can't really thank my parents enough because at the time when they were together, they raised my sister and I with that mindset that, you know, being in nature and experiencing, you know, what real camping is like without a camper or a fancy RV or anything, just like two tents, get your sleeping bag, you know. <laughs> and I remember as a young kid, uh, the lower falls of the Lewis River, the sound of the river, it's like such a pure sound that will stay for the rest of my life that I can't really compare to anything else, just the sound of a continuous river with a lot of power because there were some big waterfalls in that river too. But yeah, Michelle really inspired me with this book to deepen my connections with the earth. So I got inspired last summer to do a lot of hiking in places I've never been before. And I took a trip to Mount Hood and Mount St. Helens, did some hiking and had some really meaningful experiences. Um, a lot of it, you know, just in solitude, but it comes out in some of the poems. So uh, here are just a few sample poems from Unplugged that gives... Um, people an idea of what the book is like. Um, here's the first haiku. Lost in a digital footprint, the weight of snow. Uh, I'll read that one again. Lost in my digital footprint, the weight of snow. And then the book transitions into some nature-based haiku and dreams. The first one I'm grateful was published in Kingfisher Haiku Journal. This one was published in a Seebeck Haiku Anthology in 2020. Um, autumn evening, I step into the owl's dream. And uh, actually with this haiku, uh, I could briefly talk about a couple experiences. Well, one in particular where I was walking in college at night and I think it was a full moon or it was pretty bright and I noticed an owl as I was walking and I've never been so close to an owl before and I just became really quiet and slowly you know my pace slowed down <laughs> and uh, I had this really interesting moment connecting with an owl so physically close it was really a really special experience 
But then I really appreciate and enjoy imagining what an owl's dream might look like and how that connects with, you know, animal spirituality um, from indigenous cultures. And it's just the imaginative aspect of dreams and haiku is something I'm really interested in. I actually inspired a new haiku I shared with Utonio by email. It was a one-line haiku that got published. I'm grateful it got published in the Heliosparrow Poetry Journal. And that haiku was, Tree roots descending into darkness, the horse's dream. And that is also an interesting thing to write about because we know horses dream. Um, people have witnessed that horses go into REM sleep, you know, and they can see the horse's eyes move in their sleep and they physically move when they're dreaming. So it's interesting to try to imagine what a horse's dream might, you know, look like. And I, I like the imaginative aspect. And then um, the next haiku I'd like to share in Unplugged, I'm grateful it got published in the Heron's Nest Haiku Journal in December of 2021. Haiku is scent of green tea in my travel mug, the forest darkness. And with that one, I'm really pointing to the depth and complexity of a forest and how in the green tea originates from the earth. And so I'm wanting to encourage readers to think about the origins of things we consume in our lives, where stuff comes from. Um, but also just honoring the mystery of the forest, especially at night. You know, as Michelle was talking about, her spirit was drawn towards walking in a forest at night and the, the beauty of that. And then um, the last haiku I'll share is also published in the Heliosparrow Poetry Journal. Grateful it got published in April of 2021. This haiku is um, Seashell the old man curls into a fetus. With that haiku, I was uh, definitely referencing my love for the ocean. I spent a lot of time at the ocean as a kid and just trying to fathom the sheer power of the sea as something that will stay with me for a really long time. And um, the imagery of the seashell and the old man curling into a fetus definitely pointing to the possibility of reincarnation or of how life continues on even as the old man passes away and curls into a new beginning. And um, yeah, I like the idea of just being open-minded to life after death and how life continues on. Um, also, I'm grateful I got well-received by um, the editors at the Publishers Weekly magazine. So they wrote a very kind book review. But I'm actually curious, uh, Michelle, you said you might want to uh, share a few poems that you connect with. Oh, sure. Mm, yeah, on page three, I love this one from Unplugged. Forest mist, thoughts drift into other worlds. Mm, what I like especially is the second and the last line, thoughts drift into other worlds, really stands out to me. I like how it immerses me, this this haiku, I like how it immerses me into a much deeper space of the forest. I get a feeling of oneness and 
inclusivity. I like how it's like I'm a participant in nature. Thoughts drift into other worlds, the other worlds of the trees, the other worlds of the animals, and the other worlds of civilizations that have walked in this space before me, perhaps. The underground worlds, the root system of the trees. I mean, it's just so vast. I just really resonated with that one. Thank you. Um, you're welcome. And then we read this one earlier, not wanting to break our silence, evening fog. Through cracks in ice, the buds of yellow roses. I just love reading that one. I just wanted to read that one again because I just appreciate it so much. Just the spirit of love and friendship. I love that. And then, oh, this is actually in our book too, right? I love this one. Hidden Faces in the Maka Totem Pole, Drifting Fog. In the palms of my hands, the smell of salmon. And what I love about this one, one of the things is just the really honored the spirit here of animal spirit, feel the salmon and the legends and the deep past and history of the indigenous culture and indigenous peoples. I feel all of that when I read this Tonka mm. in a very deep way. Mm. And then I like, oh yeah, on page 16, darkness in the old redwood voices. That's actually a monoku, so that's the one line that Jacob wrote in that. I want to read that one again. Darkness in the old redwood voices. I love, love, love that. Hmm. There's so many different things. The first thing that jumps out to me is just the voices of the redwood themselves. Hmm. The voices of trees, the voices of the redwood, as well as the people who have walked there in the beginning of time. Hmm. It just feels like a very ancient space, which I really resonate with. It's very ancient, sacred ground. And it really comes out in just, and that's amazing because it's just one line one, two, three, four, five, six words. Six words, one line. Mm. I'm in this space. I've never been in a redwood forest that is on my list. One day I would like to walk with these giants and stand mm. in space and just. Probably kneel, maybe lie down. I'd love to lie down on the earth and probably mm. shedding some tears. <laughs> but mm. I love that you transported me. I've already been there mm. because of a poem like this. I love that. Let me see. Just a couple more. On page 23, past lives from my acoustic guitar, the scent of spruce. So again, I, I like the engaging of my senses, the scent of spruce. I feel the lives and the sacrifice of the trees because mm. you have this beautiful musical instrument where the tree's voice can still be heard. And the past lives to me is just an honoring of the tree's life, the life mm. of the forest. I really like that one. And one more. Oh, we read this one together. Huh? 
Moonlight in the overgrown cemetery, frozen shadows. How many thoughts have I buried? What I appreciate about this is how it's, to me, it speaks of letting go. Mm. And I love the peaceful energy in the letting go. And I also really resonate and appreciate the sacred space of the solitude, of the feeling of being alone. Mm. Mm. Mm -hmm. So those are just a few, but I mean, there's just so many. It's just a beautiful, it's a beautiful book, Jacob. Oh, thank you. Yeah, so it's been great to talk with you guys again. Yes, yes. Always appreciate sitting and having a conversation. I, I so much feel like we're just sitting around in the living room and just hanging out and just going with the flow of conversation. It's very easy and gentle and natural feeling. I just really love it. And I appreciate you creating the space for this to happen, Tonio. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Well, I appreciate the two of you helping to fill the space. <laughs> and so we've been talking about two new collections of our guests, Michelle Hyatt and Jacob Salzer. They collaborated on Returning, which is a book of Tonka sequences that they did together. And Jacob's new solo book is Unplugged, a book of haiku and tonka. And again, it's been great to have you two on the show and uh, look forward to our, our, next, our next conversation. Mm. Mm. Thank you, Tonio. Thank you so much, Tonio. Thank you two so much. Mm. So until next time, be well. You too. Yes, you as well. Thank yeah, you. Thanks, Tony. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> and that's it for this Magical Mystery Tour. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, take good care of yourselves and each other. <laughs>